Blog Talk Radio. Hey, good morning. Well, no, it's not morning. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. Sorry about um, earlier today. I just I didn't wake up. Had to get a little sleep in, so I apologize for that. But I'm really happy that I was able to reschedule it for later on this afternoon. So this is where we are. But, hey, what's going on? I wasn't able to do a show last Sunday, but... I'm here this Sunday and looking forward to, you know, talking about a few things that have taken place. And, you know, I really did miss you guys, so I'm not quite sure everything that happened, but the little bit I did see, everybody seems to be doing fine. And so with that, I am very, very happy. So this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers, and we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself not convert you, and I'll say that one more time. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And when I say think and live for yourself, I'm talking about every aspect of your life, every last one. That's important. Um, and You know, we talk about a number of things. It's not always about religion. As a matter of fact, if you've paid attention, you know, over the years, I've kind of moved further and further away from that. And, you know, again, when when I do these shows, I'm not doing this show for any one specific group of people because I cover a number of different topics, a number of different areas, um, and it's just it's been really interesting the past five years. And, you know, what has taken place not only on this show but in my life. And, you know, I've had a good time. And so I was just sitting there. You know, Raina and I, we talked the other day. And, yeah, Raina, Raina is out of town. Raina won a very prestigious um, scholarship. So she's out somewhere on Cape Cod, you know, cloning red red lip backfish and milking cows. I'm not quite sure all that they're doing up there, but we're proud of her and all that good fun stuff. She'll be contacting me soon. So we definitely miss her, you know, and I just want to make sure that she knows that if she's out there listening and um, give you all just a little slight update, she's doing quite well. And so I'm just really happy for her. And just a number of other people, you know, this past year and a half has been interesting. You know, I guess that's the word, you know, some people would use. Um, I would say this past year has been eventful, um, filled with a number of teachable moments and very revealing in a lot of different areas. And so, you know, today, you know, I titled the show Call Me Peaches, Negritude. And so Call Me Peaches is from Nina Simone. And if you go and you read this, you know, go out and do some research, it comes from a song called Four Women that she wrote. And she was talking about these four different women and how 
they had very different backgrounds. And, you know, I'm not a Nina Simone expert, so I don't even, um, you know, really want to get into that. But if you want to know a little bit more about it, you know, go and take a look and do some research on that. And the reason why I was thinking along those lines in particular is because of the International James Baldwin Conference that took place in Paris, France last week. And I was there. And I had such a good time. I mean, from the very moment I got there to the end, you know, they kept us busy. The day would start 10, you know, 9, 10 o'clock in the morning, and they had us running till 9, 10 o'clock at night. My knees and my ankles and my toes and everything else was like, girl, no. But we did it. We made it through, and I learned a hell of a lot from that conference, and, you know, I I had such a good time that, you know, they're going to hold the next one in two years. They're every two years. The next one will be in Istanbul, Turkey. So, you know, I plan on presenting that year. You know, that's how much I enjoy that, and I'm truly looking forward to it. Met a lot of wonderful, beautiful people, and like I said, you know, learned a lot, And so some of that, you know, we're going to talk about a little bit later on in the show because I have to get to it because I have to get to it. But it's been real interesting sitting back and, you know, just kind of taking an overview, if you will, over a number of things that have taken place in my life over the past really 10 years and especially over the past year and a half. And, you know, I can look back at it now and laugh, you know, and this is not a laugh to mask, you know, the pain and the frustration and the anger and all of that. I claim all of those emotions. I've been through them, and I will continue to experience them. But at the end of the day, you know, you take those experiences and those particular events, and for me, the object is to try to make something positive come from that. And that is what's been happening. So, you know, it's it's been great. Like I said, at that you know conference in Paris, it was it was mind blowing. I mean, it was over ninety panels, and they had us hopping building to building. And you know, it was really only three, you know, but you had to go through everything. You know, security is really high in Europe, in particular Paris. So, you know, we had to carry our passports around as well as our um, information about the conference. It took place at American University of Paris. And I've met some really, really wonderful, wonderful people. And, you know, I'm looking forward to going back to Paris one day, you know. found out that they're having their first Black Gay Pride this year. And that came as a, you know, a major surprise to me, a big surprise, because of all places, Paris, and you all have never had a black gay pride. So for those of you that are interested, go out and do some research. It's going to take place in the middle of July. So you may want to go and look that up, and I know they're going to get it in over there. So I'm just like, 
it's, I don't know, it just seems like the world is opening up, you know, when I was on the plane and, you know, we were taxiing down, getting ready for takeoff. I don't know, it's just this whole sense of relief came over me. You know, I felt free. I felt free. I felt liberated. And, you know, that's for a number of reasons. I've taken a lot of things that were on my plate, pushed them off my plate. Some were snatched off my plate. <laughs> oh, and you know what? And I'm good with that, right? And um, even now, more and more. And so it's just it's been really interesting because, you know, I made it back Monday, this past Monday. And that would explain, because I've been sleeping my ass off all week. That's all I really could do. I mean, I've gone out and taken care of some business, but my body was really, really worn down. You know, it takes a lot out of me. It takes a lot out of me in my regular everyday life. And so when you travel somewhere and there's seven hours ahead of us, so it's one forty in the afternoon here, it's 8.40 in the evening there. So you have to deal with that, and then you come back, and you leave, and it's daylight there. And when you get back home, it's still early in the day, and your mind is just totally screwed, like, oh, hell no, we're supposed to be asleep. So it was just, it was it, it, it was good. It was an experience that I needed. It was an experience that I treasured. And so I've had people like, what happened? What happened? Tell me a little bit about it. And I told them to make you listen to the show. So, you know, I got there, and so I took, you know, we landed, and you have to go through border patrol, and, and you know, it's interesting because I didn't, you know, buy any euros before I left, and I didn't buy any euros at the currency exchanges that they have in the airport because I did my research, and they said it's cheaper to get it from the ATMs, which is correct. So I was able to get money that way, but I caught a taxi from – the airport to my hotel. Now, that hotel was gorgeous, you know, and you can just smell the money dripping off these people. And I'm like, how the hell did that end up? So anyway, it was it was interesting, but, you know, you know, I had a long conversation with the cab driver, and he's, you know, Algerian. And again, you know, I, I, I post stuff about France and Italy and Germany and in all these different places, England, the Netherlands, about, and about African-Americans, not African-Americans, but Africans, you know, that live in these different places. And some of them are expats. And so, you know, I just want people to understand that while something may be happening in Africa or something may be happening in the Netherlands or France, you know, with and to, you know, other African people, other people of color, it's important that we know and we understand and we support one another because, again, a lot of these Africans and these other, you know, lands there, you know, they look up to us. And when we were marching, they were marching with us. And that's why I have the word negritude there. And so that was a movement that happened in France. And I know I've posted information about negritude in the past, but, you know, I would encourage you guys to go and look up the negritude movement, go look up women in negritude. And that particular movement was motivated by the Harlem Renaissance. 
you know, in Brooklyn. Well, not Brooklyn, but in New York. And, and yeah, Harlem, Brooklyn, all of those places, but more so Harlem, but just New York. And, you know, it, it started the Harlem Renaissance, and the Harlem Renaissance had a big influence on, you know, Afro you know, African people that lived in France. And then this movement started. And these weren't the only two. There were movements all over the world. I mean, you even want to go and look up um, Negritude Movement in Latin America, you know, and they just had different names. And, I mean, even within the United States, here in Chicago, you know, we had a movement in our arts district, which is called Bronzeville. And, you know, it happened in other places, you know, across this country. So I would just encourage you guys to go and look some of that up. For all you know, your mom or your dad or your grandparents, you know, may have a painting up there on the wall painted by someone that was a part of that movement. You know, you may have a hundred, two hundred thousand or a million dollar painting on the wall and you didn't know it. You know, they say, oh, well, you know, Aunt Tina painted that, and we just thought it was beautiful, and we're keeping it in the family. And you all don't know that Aunt Tina's paintings are selling all over the world for crazy amounts of money. You probably still have some in the basement somewhere. So, you know, go and look it up. Go look it up. You never know. Um, just, you know, it's real interesting, you know, when I find out certain people that I'm related to that I had absolutely no clue, you know. And so... um learn about what's happening in your own backyard. You know, so when I talk about, you know, this particular movement and, you know, I'm kind of going to kind of aggregate them because we only have so much time and because, you know, I'm not an expert, subject matter expert on any of this. I just know what I've been reading and you know, what it's meant to me and how I'm able to take these principles or what have you and your philosophies and apply them to my life. But, you know, on today's show, you know, I wrote a little statement and I'm just going to go ahead and read it here. But I said, we are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, challenge the status quo and challenge those around you. Question everything and everyone. Utilize critical thinking skills in every area of your life. You determine who you are, not those around you. Remember, some will attempt to dissuade you because of their lack of knowledge, jealous, insecurity, and fear. And on this show, we're going to cover a lot of topics. And again, it's not my job to validate or assuage your guilt and fear. My purpose is to push you out of your comfort zone It is not my responsibility to soothe and coddle your overinflated egos. My purpose is to pique your interest, encourage you to think outside the box, reevaluate your positions, research to empower yourself, and never settle for conventional thought or the status quo. So it's important that you guys understand that. And when I say that, I'm talking to everybody. All of you, male, female, black, white, Latino, Asian, what, I don't care. All of you. Because sometimes we get kind of trapped into these boxes, and sometimes we walked into that trap. And then there are times when people box you in. And what's so interesting about, you know, the human mind and human behaviors is, you know, most of us know if you put somebody in a corner, they're either going to come out fighting or they're going to run. And 
You know, I'm one of those people. I'm going to fight eventually. And what's so interesting is you have people over here, and they pick and pick and pick, and then when you finally get fed up and you slap the shit out of them, now you're wrong, right? So I'm just saying that be true to yourself. You know, get out here, live your life, live it for yourself. You cannot live your life for other people. If you try and if you do that, you are going to be miserable for the rest of your life until you figure out, you know, what's happening there. And so, you know, what was so interesting was when I was doing, you know, my research and reading even before the trip and a little bit more, didn't get as much done over the past week as I wanted to because, like I said, I was tired. And when I got home, it was so interesting coming through O'Hara Airport because you got to go through Border Patrol like four times, four or five times. It's just absolutely freaking ridiculous. And, you know, they have you standing in line, and it's hot. You know, it may not have been hot. Everybody else looked fine. I was sweating. So <laughs> I think it was me, y'all, so I'll admit that this time. And uh, whenever I would go up to one of the Border Patrol stations, they would be like, are you okay? Handing me paper towels. And I'm like, yeah. And so then finally when I thought I made it through the last one and I came to another one, and I'm like, come on. And so, and so the guy was laughing. And I'm like, what What are we doing now? I thought he was the end. He was like, no, he gave you a piece of paper, right? And I said, yeah. He was like, where is it? In my pocket. He was like, may I have it? And so I found it, and I gave it to him. He was like, now you may walk through. And I'm like, wait a minute. So you have to take the paper he gave me. So it was just really interesting. But what I will say is you do not piss off Border Patrol or TSA people. You know, I was not fortunate enough to do that. I know better. But I saw a couple of episodes. Um, And, yeah, that's not something you really want to do. So, um, yeah, I just wanted to get through Border Patrol and come home and get in my own bed. And so, anyway, getting back, um, while I was researching this, I found something really interesting, and it was talking about W.E.B. Du Bois's double double consciousness versus Latin America exceptionalism. I have not had a chance to read this PDF, but it it promises to be quite interesting, so I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Haven't had a chance to read it. Maybe I'll, you know, take a couple of excerpts and posted, and you all, you may want to go and look up black literature and humanism in Latin America, and I know some of you are like, where is this Latin America thing coming from? Look, (laughs) we, we all have, you know, we all have certain um, ties to one another, kind of like a kindred tie. And so I just think it's important for us to expand our mind and read about people and situations and things that are outside of what we've read about and what we've experienced in this country. And, you know, I would truly, truly um, advise people, encourage you to spend some time outside of this country because things are a little bit different. And so, you know, again, I I was talking with an Algerian taxi driver, and, you know, he was complaining about 
the same things that many of us are complaining about in this country, about how you're either rich or poor. There is no in-between. And he was talking about how pretty much everybody was poor over there in France because of, you know, what's happening with austerity and the fascism and the oligarchy and all of that stuff that's happening. And it's not just happening in America. It's happening all over the place. Which is why, you know, sometimes I find it astonishing when I hear people say, who cares about what's happening over there? What's happening over here is more important. And, again, people aren't grasping that we are now in a global economy. And especially if America sneezes, the rest of the world jumps. Trust that. And so, you know, I did a little research about, you know, what was happening over there before I even got there. And um, it seems as though the Algerians are one of the most oppressed groups in France. You know, the jails are full, you know, primarily with that particular culture. And what's interesting was I was asking him about an area in Paris called Little Africa. And, you know, he was like, no, you don't want to go over there. You know, they have, you know, issues with crime and drugs and all of that. And what was so interesting is that I had to explain to him that there were probably more drug addicts staying at the hotel I was residing in than in Little Africa. And this is one of the things that, you know, we've been trying to do with this show is break down a lot of these myths. And so, you know, we've tackled the myth on black on black crime. We've tackled the myth of black criminality. We need to start tackling the myth of blacks not caring about other blacks committing crime in the community. Now, that's much different than so-called black-on-black crime. You know, and, and what's happening here is, you know, and I see it all the time, whether it's black, white, you know, Latino, Asian people making these talking points, these Fox talking points, they'll say, well, you know, now you got these black people and they care about, you know, police killing black people, but they don't care about, black people killing other black people. We got the crime bill because the gangs were out of control and, you know, all of these different things. And there is a lot of myth behind that. But also, besides some of the myth that's behind that, you also need to understand, you know, you need to look at this from a number of perspectives. If we are living in that type of environment, that type of environment is happening there What were the options available to those people that they had to make that choice? And this is why I say we have to go deeper into this. You know, it's it's much deeper. And in addition to that, who's making money? So, again, who's bringing these drugs into this company? You know, who are these chemists that know how to you know, change it from A to B, and who are the ones making money off of this, you know, and that goes into money laundering, and it opens up a whole lot of different avenues there. But most importantly, who benefits the most 
from these communities, you know, being ravaged by drugs and alcohol and crime. Who's benefiting from that? And who's fighting to make it stay that way? In addition to that, I want you all to think about it. You know, you you always hear about white flight. So as soon as you get more than two or three black families living in the neighborhood, all the houses go up for sale. And so then, you know, you have people of color in these neighborhoods and, you know, for some reason, the property value goes down. And then 20, 30, 40 years later, the white people decide they want that property back because it's expensive, you know, namely here in Chicago. You see what's happening up in Brooklyn and a lot of other places in New York. And so the whites want to come back into the city. They buy the property for cheap. You know, these bungalows that we have in Chicago and some of these gray stones and all, they're worth a lot of money. But because the property values have dipped, you know, they're able to take advantage of that. So, I mean, again, I just want you guys to think outside of the box. I want you to go and, you know, look up Negritude and find out, you know, the meaning behind it. And I'm going to give you a general, you know, um, definition, but I just kind of wanted to pique that interest, you know, a little bit because basically, you know, it's, it's like a cultural movement. And so right here it says the affirmation or consciousness of the value of black or African culture, heritage, and identity. And there are a number of, you know, different definitions for this. But, you know, it was it definitely was a cultural movement started in Paris in the 1930s by, you know, French-speaking black graduate students. And so what's so interesting about that, and please go look that up, um, so what's so interesting about that is you see these different movements, you know, then, before then, and now, and students play integral parts in a lot of these. And, you know, what's so interesting about you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, Black Power, Civil Rights Movement, movements, um, is because of the student participation in activity. And so, you know, there were a couple of articles out last year, this year, talking about, you know, the elitism of the social justice movements. And so there was, you know, some validity, a lot of validity to some of the claims. And, you know, it's it's not just a simple cut and dry answer or a simple cut and dry solution to any of these uh, particular problems. But, you know, I just think it's important that we kind of come back to some of the basics. And with, you know, the negritude, you know, basically they were asking, who am I? Who are we? What are we in this white world? And so, you know, these are questions that we even ask now, you know, and I, does that stand for any and all human beings? And, you know, that's, is is interesting, you know, it's about self-affirmation, Right. And, um, you know, affirming, you know, our value in in this world and in these particular cultures. And it's just, it's, it's a lot and it's heavy. 
And I had some people, you know, a really good friend, you know, was asking me, you know, you talk about all these different subjects, you know, we're living in it, and when you compare it to what happened in the past, it doesn't seem like we've made any progress. It seems as though we've regressed in a lot of areas, and I couldn't really argue with that. But, you know, it boils down to a point that, you know, it's I, I can't explain how I'm able to get up every day and not just snap because, you know, you feel like things are getting worse. And so it's just interesting because when you go to things, for me, when I went to the Black Lives Matter conference last year and even with this particular conference right here, I, um, you know, I felt like I was breathing, but the thing is, is that I didn't know I wasn't breathing. And you have these, you know, you're living this life. You have these experiences and these events coming at you, and it's one after the other. And you feel like you don't get a chance to catch your breath. You don't get a chance to sit down and relax. You're constantly on the go, constantly on the run, whether it's your body or your brain or what have you. And when you do get a chance to sit down and breathe and just just be, it, it really occurs to you and, and you're like, has it become so bad that it's just commonplace that, you know, our oppression, our, you know, pain, all of these things that we've gotten so accustomed to it that now we see it as normal. And when we're relieved of said pain or oppression, even just a little bit, just a little minute, you know, just itty-bitty, you know, and you don't know how to act. You don't know what to say. You're looking around like, is this really happening? And so, you know, I just, I don't know. You know, you have all these people who are trying to convince us that we are now living in a colorblind society, post-racial, and it's just, it's amazing. So, you know, again, I want you guys to also go and look up Negritude Women. And the same thing happened in that movement that happened with the Black Power Civil Rights Movement, as well as, to a certain degree, the Harlem Renaissance. And unfortunately, it's going to, it seems like it's going to be the same way with the Black Lives Matter movement. But these women out here, they're like, hell no, we're not falling for that this time. So you all go ahead and do it. You know, but we got to remember that there are, there are women that helped to, you know, many, in many cases, they were the ones who initiated and cultivated and, you know, nurtured these particular movements. And then once it got to, you know, you know, a certain type of public profile, then you would have these men swoop in and try to take over. And I've told you all about, you know, some situations in which you have some of these men, not black nationalists, you know, the Hoteppers, coming in and trying to push these women and these, you know, young people out of their own movement, push them to the back. And we can't allow that to happen. So this is why you see a lot of women talking about women's studies and 
you know, encouraging people to go and look back at the contributions of women because black women are factored out, you know, in a number of places. I mean, even with the LGBTQ movement, it was trans women of color that started that. And what happens is they they make these so-called changes to make it more palatable to mainstream America, i.e. white people, which means, you know, they had to put white people in front. This is why you hear people saying that, you know, one day they're going to have Martin Luther King and Malcolm X portrayed as white men, you know. And even with what's happening now with the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, and in, in the civil rights movement, you know, black people were out there getting killed, beat up, you know, um, losing their livelihoods and just a number of different things. And you have some white people, you know, you know, they have white allies out there, Latino, Asian allies. I'm not disregarding any of them, but I'm talking about now. When we're looking at some of this, you have some white people out there trying to claim, you know, any any little victory, any little bit of progress we made. And, you know, I don't understand. How are you trying to claim a victory or a progress that, you know, colors, communities of color have achieved when you were the one oppressing us in the first place? Or am I saying that wrong? Or am I still asleep over here? Because I, I, I don't get it. So anyway, there is a book talking about negritude women. It was written by Tracy Whiting. I have not had the pleasure of reading this book. However, I have ordered it. And so she's talking about Suzanne Cesare, you know, and um, let's see here, Suzanne Liz Cascade and, you know, a number of other people. Just go and look it up, Jane and Paulette Nardal and a number of other folks. You know, I have not had the pleasure of reading anything by any of these women. And, you know, that's on my to-do list. But, you know, I want to encourage you guys to go out and read, you know, about these as well. And, um, yeah, we need to look at things outside of our box, outside of what we've been Told. And what's interesting is, is that in many cases, you can find um, answers and information in foreign newspapers and periodicals that are not, you know, uh, that are not basically taken over or enveloped in propaganda. You know, that's one of the problems that we have in this country. But, again, this is about who are we what are we, where are we, you know, and it's kind of hard to, you know, get into all of this without, you know, having some anger because, you know, unfortunately, and you've seen it in this country, I remember talking to people about when Barack Obama was running and when we kind of figured that he was going to win. And I had people saying all that racism is going to go away. And I said, you really believe that? And so then it came back later, and they said, well, most of it. Maybe not all of it, but most of it. And again, I repeated, you really believe that? And their answer was yes. And I said, actually, it's going to get worse. 
and it has. And it's not so much about it getting worse. It was always there. It was always there, you know, a festering infection waiting to blow, but it had a scab on top. And when Barack Obama was elected, somebody ripped that off. And so now we're dealing with that. And the irony of the situation to me is a lot of what working class and poor whites are angry about, the majority of these problems were caused by Bill Clinton. Now, that's the irony to me. So, anyway, I'm just going to move on from that because I'm not trying to go into a big, 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 (laughs) um, you know, diatribe about that. So, um, yeah, go and look up Negritude women, women that were part of the Negritude movement, and, you know, even look up students in these grassroots and community movements. It's important that you understand that. And so... You know, again, you know, I had a great time, you know, in France. We were at the U.S. Embassy, which is absolutely breathtaking. And one thing I will say about Algerian men in general, they're very persistent. And so, you know, while I was there, I didn't rent a car. And I'm glad that I didn't because I don't understand their rules of the world at all. It's like red lights are optional. Like, what the hell? You just blew a red light. No, if you're in this lane, you can go. Yeah, I would have had all kinds of accidents over there. So, you know, I just used the car service, you know, when I was there, Uber. And so, you know, some of those guys are very persistent. And I'm not sure what kind of women (laughs) that they're used to dealing with, but it was interesting because, you know, one of the drivers, he was moved. He was like, have you seen all of the sites? And I was like, no, I haven't had the opportunity because I was running, you know, trying to keep up with the conference. And he was like, well, you know, what day will you have free? And I'm like, well, I planned on going to a lot of the sites on Sunday. He was like, so here he goes. He hands me a card. And he was like, I come pick you up. I take you to all the site. You take pictures. Then we go and we eat and we drink and we come back here and have fun. And I'm like, where is here? And he was like, here. And, you know, we were in front of my hotel. And I'm like, no, that's not how that works. And so <laughs> it was just really interesting, you know, because, yeah, you know, very, very, very interesting. But what I will say is I almost went into a sugar coma. I mean, the pastries over there, some of the pastries, you know, you want to cry because it's like you've never known food to be that good. And it was excellent. You know, the food was phenomenal. You know, I enjoyed it. But at one point, I did get a little sick. And um, it, it was really interesting because over there, everything is fresh. Fresh cheese, you know, the restaurants that I went to anyway. Fresh cheese, fresh milk, you know, um, with even the meat, fresh. And all it did was remind me of the crappy food and the crappy cuisine that we have over here. And while, you know, some of it may be crappy, this is what I'm used to. 
and, you know, they had McDonald's and all of that over there, but I didn't go to any because I didn't know what was in the special sauce. And so uh, it was just, yeah, so I got to the point that, you know, when I got sick, I was scared to eat anything. And so all I would order at one point was just French fries. Like, it's kind of hard to screw up potatoes. And um, when I would call down for room service and, you know, I would order, and, you know, I would say I would like an order of palm frites, you know, which are French fries in French. And, you know, the, <laughs> the whoever took the order, they were like French fries. And I would say yes. And then they would say, would you like a hamburger? And so at this point, you don't know if it's a French accent or if they're being sarcastic. And so, you know, my response would be, no, I do not want a hamburger. And so they would laugh. So I knew, you know, they weren't being sarcastic. But what would be interesting, they were, they would say, well, do you want truffle oil? Or do you want some sweet chili oil? And, you know, in my mind, I'm saying, oh, you got jokes, sweet chili oil. So, you know, now you're trying <laughs> now you're trying to turn, you know, my life into some damn fireworks. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, no, thank you. None of that. But, um, I mean, food was outstanding, absolutely outstanding. But my Midwest American stomach could only take so much. Uh, they had this little breakfast buffet thing at the hotel. And so I'm looking around, and I'm looking at the bacon. It doesn't look like our kind of bacon, but, you know, it smelled like bacon, so I put some on my plate. And they had the little sausage links, you know, nice and brown. Okay, put a, put a couple of those on my plate. And they had something that looked like, you know, scrambled eggs, but I wasn't quite sure, but I put some on my plate anyway. And so at that point, I was the only person of color in the restaurant besides some of the people that worked there. And so, you know, I took a bite of the scrambled eggs, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, you know, they should just crack an egg over my mouth and let me swallow because it wasn't. <sighs> so that that was that. And, you know, I, you know, I know I saw some eyes on me, you know, because I had on one of my T-shirts, um, which, you know, had graphic arts on it. So, of course, it's going to grab people's attention. And then I had this bag that they gave us from the university in regards to the James Baldwin Conference. So, you know, people are nosy. They want to see, you know, but because they don't know who I am, they're not going to walk up and ask. So I took a slice, I sliced into the sausage, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, this ain't no Bob Evans here. And I'm like, all right, Kim, you already have it on your fork. Go ahead and chuck it back. And I'm chewing, and at the first one or two bites, you know, I'm like, man. So I just swallowed it whole. But, you know, you got to remember when you go to other countries, certain things have other meanings. You know, to me, that looked like pate and sausage casings. So I'm just giving you all a hint. <laughs> you won't be surprised like myself. And it it was actually tasty, but it wasn't what I was looking for, you know, what I was expecting. So, you know, there were a lot of things happening. Meeting, I met a lot of um, academics and teachers and other people 
who just got on a plane and came out because they wanted to be a part of this. And, you know, I posted a couple of pictures that day. And, you know, I have plenty more. And, I'm, you know, some of the people that I met, you know, they sent me some of the pictures that they took because it was all kind of group pictures, you know. And, like I said, had a really good time. Got some ideas for some things that I want to implement. And, you know, it was a good time. It was a good time. It was diverse. You had, you know, you had white people there. You had Latino people. You had Asian people. It was just absolutely wonderful. But what was so funny was, you know, it was that that lunchroom thing again. You know, when I walked in, it was this one black man and this one black woman sitting over in the study area. Because I got there early because I had finished eating, you know, my, my little brunch and I didn't want to go back to the hotel, so I figured that I would go over to the university and just have a seat and decompress before registration started. And so I made my way over to them, and, you know, both of them were professors. And so we were going in, talking, and just having a really good time. And so when the other black people would come in, they would hear us back there. They would peek in, go get registered. The next thing we know, it was, you know, we're just sitting back there talking, you know, people recognizing each other from other things. So one of the poets that I met, Jessica, she um she gave you know she gave you know a talk at Amiri Baraka's you know funeral so I mean you know I can't wait to get her on the show and she was like yeah and so I mean it was beautiful it really was and you know everybody meeting each other like do you know who this is no this is so and so and so and so really yeah really so it was just it was amazing because we, I believe they thought Tana Hasty Coates was going to come, and I believe he had intended on being there, but something or the other happened. And so, you know, he was not able to make it. And I remember reading an article like the next day, he said that he wasn't going to move into his place in Brooklyn that he just purchased because of all the media behind it. And yeah, I mean, someone like that, they have to be careful they have a target on their backs and so you know I just hate that he wasn't there but Talib Kweli or Kweli or whatever how you pronounce that you know he was there and a number of other people and um, a number of topics you know it was like some of those panels you know I wanted to be at two or three of them but you could only be at one at a time and I'm like oh man and so you know I got what I could but I'm going to be reaching out to some of these people for some notes and, again, a syllabus and reading list, which is why, you know, I know a lot of people are like, well, how does she always tell us about all of these books so that you can go and read and find out this stuff for yourself? Well, you're telling us about it. Yeah, but that's not good enough. And I always tell you guys, I just give you enough. There are a couple of topics that I brought up on the show and talked about that I definitely did not do justice to it. And, you know, I've said it because it's like, you know, they're really deep topics. And I wanted to get more in depth, but, again, you only have so much time. And, um, you know, and then me, sometimes I look at these books and my head gets to spinning because some of these books are thick. I still haven't made it through the arrogance of faith. So anyway, you know, I'm going to veer off a little bit. And the reason for that is because, you know, I'm going to be able to bring it all in 
toward the end, but, you know, there were a few events that happened that I wanted to talk about. And, you know, there was a young woman by the name of Jasmine who was convicted of lynching. Now, Jasmine um, is a part of the Black Lives Matter movement and, you know, definitely wrongfully convicted of lynching. And from my understanding that those charges have been dropped, you know, and this particular young person lives in Pasadena, and I apologize because I'm not sure what pronoun um, they prefer, so I'm just going to refer to Jasmine as they. So, um, and I apologize if I disrespected her, disrespected them in any way. So um, Jasmine Richards, you know, from Pasadena, California, and was, you know, convicted of attempted felony lynching on June 1st. And so, you know, I saw something afterwards saying that, you know, they dropped it. I'm not sure. I need to go and, you know, look that up because it doesn't really sound right. I'm not sure. But anyway, guys, go and look that up. But what I find interesting about that is that they convicted this person of lynching, but the number of whites that actually lynched black people there have been no conviction. I mean, it's, it's it's amazing. You know, and I, my my mouth just dropped, you know, when I read this type of stuff. You created lynching. You perpetuated lynching. You were never charged with lynching. But a young person whose forefathers were lynched, and they've had to live with that particular trauma, you're convicting them of lynching. Really? You know, and in addition to this, you know, um, they were, you know, harassing, you know, this person and a number of other people that have been part of these movements and, and these, you know, and a number of activists out here. And, again, we need to stay on top of this. You know, because not only are these activists, you know, being abused, because that's what this is. Not only are they being abused by, you know, the state, but they're being abused by other, you know, people of color. And in some cases, you know, some of these hotep men that are trying to push them out of the way and put themselves in front. And then you also have some women out here that are doing the same thing, saying that a woman should stay in a woman's place or a child should stay in a child's place and trying to shame them, you know, into backing down. And, I mean, this is nothing new. You know, that has happened pretty much in every movement, and it's not something a lot. But, again, we're still here saying, who am I? What am I? Why am I here? What purpose do I serve, you know, in this particular white world? And, you know, again, that can go beyond just the neighborhood you you live in or, you know, beyond what particular, you know, group or cultural movement that you happen to be a part of, whether it's the LGBTQ, whether it's, you know, the trans. And, and the reason why I separated the two is because, 
with this last anyway I just separate the two even though it's it's together but I just want to kind of delineate that and even within you know the secular movements and you know what's happening over there you have a lot of people of color over there saying you know where do we stand here do you or do you not care about what's happening in our particular communities you know, or are you going to continue to just spout off, you know, false talk, um, fox talking point? And so, you know, again, I'm here to, to make you think. That is what I'm here to do. But we all share, you know, like a kindred thread there. You know, there are a lot of things that we have in common, especially being people of color. So I guess I just want you guys to go out and read about what's happening with Jasmine Abdullah Richards and what they've been, you know, taken through. And they're supposed to sentence Jasmine this Tuesday on the 7th. So there were some petitions going around, and that may have been a false story about Jazz, about them, you know, dropping the charges. I'm going to have to go back and um, take a look because what's interesting is, you know, they're basically labeling these Black Lives Matter um, marches and peace marches and all of this. They're, They're trying to compare it to the Ku Klux Klan. And, and no, that's not it. And what's so interesting is you have a lot of the so-called um, white leaders you have, you know, over in Minnesota. You know, you had police officials saying that, you know, Black Lives Matter is a terrorist organization, and that is the furthest thing from the truth. You know, it was one of those, you know, union leaders, and it's and and he's not the first one to say anything, to say something like that. And it is not a terrorist organization. I mean, if we want to talk about terrorist organizations and, and hate groups, maybe we need to start focusing on the fraternal order of police officers. Just a suggestion. So um, it's, it's outrageous because they will defend with their lives for the KKK or the Aryans to walk down the block and have a march, but yet they want to beat us and shoot us. And, you know, if they could get away with pulling out the fire hoses and releasing the dogs, they will. But, I mean, look look at the police. I mean, they're militarized. And so, you know, this all goes back to who are we? Where are we? Why are we here? What am I? When you have people like this who – you know, it seems like they have some type of joy. You know, they receive some type of pleasure calling us thugs and animals. And and, and it's amazing because they don't see us as humans. And I'm not saying all of them, but quite a few of them, they do not see us as human. They see us as subhuman, which is why, you know, some of them, they just don't care. They don't care, not at all. So go ahead and look up Lieutenant Bob Crow, K-R-O-L-L, and, you know, he was going in on some of the council members and even the mayor, and he was saying that they created a dangerous and unproductive atmosphere. 
So basically, he's trying to shut it down, shut them down, to not talk about these things. And for those of us that are part of other communities, what's interesting is, you know, when you're following along with their particular agenda or their mission, what's so funny is in many cases you can ask them what their mission is, and they can't really tell you what it is. But the mission is whatever they want it to be so that they can get their regular white person status back. And, you know, um, a glaring example <laughs> of that, you know, happened this past weekend. And so what's interesting in, you know, um, one particular movement, the secular movement, you know, I've said for a while that this movement was in its infancy. And you can only be in your infancy for so long, you know. Now I say they're little toddlers and walking around with pull-ups. But I'm telling you, you got to grow up. And, you know, you really need to pull those damn shitty-ass diapers and pull-ups off because that's what's happening. And I'm just looking at it, and it's like watching a dog chase its own tail. And... You know, there's quite a few of us in the background just laughing our asses off. We told you this was going to happen. And what's going to be even more interesting is actually the next several months. And it's, you know, I don't even know what to say besides the fact that I am tickled. And so, you know, I'm just looking around and just across the board at all the different movements and how there are some of us, you know, some people of color, in particular, you know, African people or black people, and in particular, African Americans. And some of us want to be validated by these white people so badly that you're willing to take abuse, you're willing to be ignored, which is another form of abuse or violence. You know, you're willing to be marginalized. You're willing to pay your own money to go to their shit. And then they let you talk for 10, 15 minutes. And during your talk, most of the people have walked out of the room and aren't paying attention. You're willing to take the abuse when they mention you in a story. And then they have to go and delete most of the comments because most of the comments were racist. And you're taking it. And you take it when someone puts up a meme of, you know, whether it's Eric Garner or a meme of Trayvon or a meme of Mike. And then you have some of these white races up there saying that these people got what they deserve. Or we can't judge. We're waiting for all the facts. And then you have a lot of people of color picking up those same talking points. And now they're turning around and they're treating you like a piece of shit after you were not there trying to defend them. You know, that's where that mammyism comes in. And so it's just really interesting because in a lot of these, you know, predominantly white communities, you know, cultures or movements or whatever you want to call it, you know, what they do is they take tokenism and they cloak it in a word called diversity. And you have many of us that, you know, too many of us 
that are willing to be that token just because you think it's going to get you to the next level or or you're going to reap some type of reward from it. And it still hasn't happened. Here we go, 10, 15, 20 years later, you know, the feminist movement when they threw a lot of women of color under the bus, you know, um, huh. and some women, women of color were forced to make a change. You know, so I don't want to forget that either. You know, they were forced to make a choice between the feminist movement and the black power civil rights movement. You know, as though we can't be a part of multiple movements, you know, because, I mean, at the end of the day, I'm still black. I'm still a woman, and I'm still a number of other things, you know, other adjectives that fall underneath that. But, you know, I'm just saying pay attention because they're throwing you under the bus yet again. And another example of that was, you know, when marriage equality was finally recognized and, you know, accepted as law or put into law. You know, it's just really interesting because you still have black LGBTQ members out here that are being penalized. And, you know, there's a lot of racism within that community as well as other communities. I mean, hell, there's a lot of homophobia within the LGBTQ community, transphobia, sexism. And so I don't know why people would see it being any different in any of these other, you know, movements and communities. It's just a mirror image of society. And so um, it just goes back to who are we? What are we? Why do we find it so important to be validated by white people? And so these are some of the things, some of the gymnastics that were going on in my head and in my mind, you know, especially while at that conference because, you know, my thought process and everything, you know, my reason to be, you know, everything was being challenged there. You know, in in some ways being challenged in ways I had never experienced. I'm like, I never thought about it that way. And so, of course, you know, those gears are grinding. And, you know, those wheels are always turning in my head. You know, and that's what Raina and I were laughing about the other day. She was talking about the show and, you know, what it was like several years ago and why she would call in. And she would say that I would try to be nice and try to, (laughs) and I would try to um, basically take what someone called in and said, even if it was a bunch of foolishness, that I would try to be kind and reshape it and put it in a way that it kind of fit within this particular puzzle. And she said she would sit home and laugh and call in and just, you know, snatch the Band-Aid off. And it was true because I would be in the background laughing, and we would talk afterwards. And, you know, (laughs) and the same things, you know, it still applies now. I still try to be nice about some things. And, you know, that's gotten me in trouble in, in a couple of situations, trying to ignore it, trying to take the upper road, the high road. And now I just don't give a shit. You know, it's like, whatever. And so I just find it amazing. But, yeah, just go back and um, 
just do a little introspection. You know, you know, who are you? What are you? Why are you here? You know, do you have a mission? Do you have a goal? And so all of this, you know, taking place in my head, you know, and so I'm kind of sharing with you, you know, some of my, you know, more intimate thoughts at times. And, you know, really from October of last year to now, you know, after I had the heart surgery, you know, just I've been doing a lot of pacing, a lot of walking, a lot of thinking, rearranging shit, reprioritizing things, and it's like, what am I doing? Am I out here spinning my wheels? Am I wasting my time? Am I casting my pearls before swine for you religious people? And that's why I took some time off from December to Valentine's Day because I had other things that I had been involved in and wanted to spend a little bit more time with that. But um, so this past week, you know, like I said, I had a few things that were exciting, and one of those was the conference. So, you know, I, you know, I didn't want to spill the beans. I wanted to go to the conference and come back and tell you guys about everything that I learned and we're going to get to it. But I had some really, I had some fun. What was interesting about that was, um, you know, many of us, we speak multiple languages, right? Because, uh, you know, I speak multiple languages. And so what was so funny, we would be sitting there and, you know, some of us would practice on each other and I would be walking down the street. And, you know, of course, you know, people there, most of them, they would be like, bonjour, and you speak it back. But when I would see black people, you know, I would kind of gauge them before we met each other or, you know, pass each other. And, you know, they'd see me and they'd say, bonjour. And if I had picked up that it was an American, I'd respond, yo, what's up? Stop them dead in their tracks every time. And they would turn around and look at me, and I'd look and smile. And it would just start a conversation. <laughs> a conversation. And they would be like, so you knew I was an American. And I'm like, yes. And so, you know, it just, and I met people were handing out cards to one another. And, you know, a few expats that are living over there, and they were encouraging me. They were like, you should come over here. You'll love it. You know, but after talking to the Algerian dude, I don't want to go over there and be poor. I'm poor here. I can be poor here and go visit my relatives. You know, I can't just, you know, go to the Hertz Carvino and drive home from over there. But, you know, it's something that I've actually really been thinking about, not Paris per se, but um, moving abroad. But, you know, that's neither here nor there, but... While I was in Paris and talking to all these wonderful people, you know, they helped me, you know, make a final decision because, you know, my mentor, who's wonderful, you know, presented, you know, a couple of opportunities to me. And I'm vacillating, and I'm like, yeah, I want to do this. Yeah, you know, I'm hyped today. And then tomorrow I'm down in the doldrums like, do I really want to do this? Is it really worth it? 
you know, but now that, you know, I'm retired, for those that, you know, weren't aware of that, you know, I'm retired slash disabled uh, because of the lupus and complications thereof. You know, I have I have time on my hands, you know, but one of the down, you know, one of the horrible symptoms of lupus is the fatigue. And so, you know, there are periods when I'm going through, you know, flares that I sleep a lot. But um, I'll be going back to school. You know, I made that final decision in Paris, and I, you know, basically signed off on it Friday, a couple of days ago. So, you know, there are a couple of things that, you know, I was involved in and I want to continue to be involved. I'm just trying to, you know, get some directives where we're going. I can still do this, that, any other, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, my life is about to change because, you know, I need to take, you know, a couple of classes, you know, intensive writing, and I want to take um, an advanced communication class. But in the fall of 2017, I'll be entering grad school PhD track, right? So I've decided that, yeah, definitely I'm going back to school, which is even less time for me, you know, and I'll still be doing the show. I probably will just stop doing the live Sunday shows and just do a show randomly throughout the week, once a week, and um, maybe release it on a Sunday and just post it in a lot of different places, you know, because I had even stopped that. I had stopped posting online, you know, as many, because I got some links for y'all asses. Trust me, I have thousands of links. But, you know, part of me is saying that, you know, I need to write more. And so, you know, maybe I'll share some of those in that particular capacity. And, um, yeah, you know, that's where Kim is right now. Kimberly is going back to school, um, pursuing my Ph.D., and, you know, having one of the best mentors ever because, you know, in order to get to this point, there were a couple of things that I had to do. And in order to do that, you know, you kind of have to get the right information and have the right people sign off on it. And, you know, my mentor, who happens to be a white woman, um, used some of her white privilege to help me. And I appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, um, you know, things are about to change. Life is about to change for me for the better. Not that it was bad to begin with, but, you know, I'm actually getting ready to go and realize some of my dreams that I had put on the back burner. And so, yeah, this year I'm going to have to write my ass off because I have to write a thesis. So, you know, my head is going to be in the books. I guess that's, you know, part and parcel of, of what I'm trying to achieve. So anyway, um, enough about me, but I just wanted to share that with you. And there's some other things happening, and as time goes on, I'll share that with you as well. But again, who are you? Who am I? You know, what are we doing here? What are we achieving? Especially in this post-racial colorblind America. 
So something happened this weekend in Seattle, of all places. Seattle, from my understanding, happens to be one of the most progressive cities in this country. And there was this black woman sitting with this black man at a Starbucks, and this white man called her a nigger bitch and spat at them. And the other customers in the shop, white people at the Starbucks, sat silently and acted as though they didn't see what happened. I'm not talking 1950. I'm not talking 1960. I'm talking 2016. What's happening? She didn't know the guy. He called her a fucking nigger bitch. What the hell was going on? And no one said shit. Not a damn word. I, you know, and we live in a post-racial, colorblind America. You tell us we can achieve whatever the hell we want if we would just get up off our asses and stop being lazy and go out here and do it? You know that's a lie. I know that's a lie. You know, and, you know, when I was reading the article, you know, the guy was saying that they were dressed appropriately, you know, in their professional attire. And as we've stated before, respectability politics will get you nowhere. Your education will get you no fucking, they don't care. And so I'm looking at this, you know, because it's like, as far as I'm concerned, that was a hate crime. And it wasn't just in Seattle. This is happening in different situations across this country and across the water. But you still got people, you know, some black people in America. Oh, that's an isolated incident. Okay, they spat on you, yet, you know, and some of these are the same people that will sit there and make excuses for some of this, you know, behavior, you know, and so that's why I'm just looking at some of these people that are hell-bent on knocking down the door and being accepted and being a part of a number of these, you know, anemic and homogenous organizations and movements and panels and, you know, and, you know, and it's just so interesting because it's not only, you know, some of the white people in these particular communities, but some of the black ones too that are actually fact-hating demagogues, you know, and what's so interesting is you got some of these same people who feel as though, well, I'm different, I'm not like the rest of them, because these other folks put that in their head, and you're believing it, you're no different, no better, no worse than the person sitting next to you. And what's so interesting is, you know, I probably got a couple of people saying, well, huh, it's funny coming out of your mouth, you know, what you said about people. Yeah, I'll say some shit. Yep, 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 yep. Don't apologize, and I'm not taking it back. But I'll put it this way. 
if you were being harassed and abused three, four, five, six years, and finally you respond, what the hell are you expecting? But, you know, again, you know, we're supposed to be in some type of post-racial colorblind America. And, I mean, just look at this shit. And everybody else, they said something and went on with, I mean, they sat silently and said nothing and went on with whatever it was. This goes back to, you know, again, you know, some people are out here, some are totally oblivious, some are not oblivious. They're just acting that way. Why? Because it's safe. And, you know, one of the bullet points I had was white folks and their animals. So I'm pretty sure you all have heard about Harambe the gorilla who was killed at the zoo because a little black boy fell off into the gorilla pen. And so there was a lot of controversy behind that. And, you know, they are, you know, it's it's just there are petitions being circulated about the parents of the little black boy. You know, they want them to be charged. Um, They were trotting out the, you know, the rap sheet of the father of the little boy. Um, I'm not sure if this is true or not. Someone was saying that Anonymous was going after them which I'm like, really? And so, and you know, I haven't had a chance to really look a lot of this up, but I'm like, this is ridiculous. That child's life is more valuable than the life of a gorilla. Period. And so, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at this, and especially when I see some arguments coming from people of color saying that, you know, that the parents should be charged and I'm like, you know, it's, it's just it's, it's outrageous because, I mean, this type of thing happens rarely. It does not happen often. And this one woman was just convicted because she threw her child into the jaguar pit. You know, this black woman did not toss her child in there with the gorillas. And so it's just amazing because – I was sitting there and, you know, I watched the video a few times. And what I will say was that that little boy was not afraid of that gorilla. He didn't look like he was afraid. It looked like he was holding hands with the gorilla. So, you know, the child, you know, did not have any fear. I don't think he knew any better. But at the end of the day, his life was more valuable than that gorilla's life. Now, I'll tell you, you know, when the gorilla was, you know, pulling him through that pool and, you know, that was fast. They got through that water real fast. Now, I don't know about you, but if someone was dragging me around like I was a cabbage patch doll, I'd be scared as fuck at it, right? But, you know, but that little boy, he wanted to see that gorilla up close and personal. But um, at the end of the day, his life, black children's lives are worth more than these animals. And then on the flip side of that, again, you know, it's it's the zoo's liability. That should not have happened. It should not be that easy for children to be able to slip through, you know, 
cages or enclosures or what have you. But most importantly, this is my main point. We shouldn't have zoos in the first damn place. These animals are being kept against their damn will. You know, and that's why we have sanctuaries and things. They can release all of these animals into these different sanctuaries where they can live, and especially some of them that are used to the human touch. And if they were to be put out in the wild, they would be killed or neglected. And so, you know, we shouldn't have these little zoos. I mean, and if you go back, for those of you that are interested in, in history, we used to be in zoos. Go and look up human zoos. You know, if you really want to hear a story, go and look up um, Sarah Bartman and how South Africa had to fight to get her remains back. And what you're seeing with that particular situation with Harambe and the Cincinnati Zoo is racism. Plain and simple. Racism. And, (laughs) you know, again, who are we? Why are we here? What role do we play? And what I'm seeing with that particular situation with that, you know, little black boy, he's three or four. And you got people, you know, that are basically saying they didn't give a shit if the gorilla tore him apart. Did you hear that 911 call with his mom? She was like, I can't even look. You know, I was scared to look, too. But curiosity got the better of me. But, yeah, you know, they used to keep African Americans or Africans in general and Native Americans. They kept us in zoos as exhibits. Go look this up. There is no reason for me to make this type of shit up. Look it up. You know, we shouldn't have anyone in zoos. You know, no animals, no anything. And if you can't see the racism in this particular situation, I don't even know what to tell you. You know, and I've already talked about that young girl who had the neck burn because they put the rope around her neck at some camp. You know, and I haven't done any follow-up on that either. You know, because that's the type of thing that gets me upset and angry and pissed off. You know, as a matter of fact, you know, I I remember telling you guys on a number of occasions that Michigan is one of the most racist states in this country. Well, here's a story about Michigan. They had some white high school students saying that they would like to bring back slavery. You know, and then there are a number of other people, you know, that (laughs) that have said this across the board. But what was interesting was one of the delegates that the Trump Um, you know, that the Trump um, organization or the Trump team there had picked, he was an open and outright white nationalist who also believes that slavery should be brought back. And once the Trump team figured out and found out who this guy was and his background, then, you know, of course, they distanced themselves from him. You know, and then you got Donald Trump retweeting Nazi shit. And, again, I, I'm i just really, I, I don't know what to say. I'm really perplexed, and I'm frustrated looking at all of this because I can only imagine what's going to happen during that convention 
for those of you, did you all see what happened in San Jose at the Trump rally and the fight that broke out there? I'm just, I'm worried. I really am. What's going to happen? You know, and you're going to have some people bringing back that, let's put them all back on the boat and send them back. (laughs) You got some black people that feel the same way. You know, you got some black people who are definitely on that, you know, Marcus Garvey, go back to Africa thing. And so, you know, we've seen the situations happening in this country, whereas during the history lesson or whatever the hell was going on, and they wanted the black kids to run and act like they were, you know, escaping slavery. But yet nobody wants to play, you know, Nat Turner. (laughs) And nobody wants to, you know, reenact what happened over in um, Haiti with Toussaint and the crew. So it's just, man, there's so much that I can talk about, so much that, you know, we can unpack this. But, yeah you know, looking at this racism and especially seeing some of these white teens. And you have people out here who keep saying over and over that the young white millennials are not as racist as their parents and grandparents and so on. And I don't necessarily find that to be true. And so I'm just looking at it because, You know, now this particular black family is under criminal investigation and, you know, all of their information is being put out there and the mom is responding, you know, where she should just go get legal counsel and allow your legal counsel to respond for you. And unfortunately, it's just turned into a really horrible situation. And, again, there's a lot of racial bias. You know, this is just, it's ridiculous. And, again, you know, not all of these accidents are being treated as crimes. They're not all being treated, you know, as equal. And so just, I'm going to put an article up, you know, talking about how this particular situation is being handled much differently. See all these Facebook groups and pages calling for justice for Harambe. You know, you got some people out here saying animal lives matter. And what's so funny is that animal lives matter is being taken more serious than black lives matter. Now, ain't that some shit? And I just want you guys to look at this. Pay attention to what's going on. We already know. We've we've always been scapegoated. You know, that's a fact. And what's happening now with, you know, good old Donald Trump and the crew, they're just making it easy. And, of course, instead of going after the people that, you know, are more culpable in this particular situation, they're just going to go after people of color, namely black people. And I'm just trying to get you all to see this. And I'm not just talking about 
you know, this particular situation. This applies to a number of different situations in a number of different countries, you know. So I'm just kind of spitballing, if you will, and throwing a little bit out here and there. But you all, you need to pay attention, especially when you start dealing with people who hate facts or they like facts. They just like their particular interpretation of the facts. You know, so like I said, it's time to change that pull up, time to change those shitty ass diapers and grow the hell up. If you can pull your pull up off and put a new one on, that's saying something right there. But um you know, what's happening in this country, especially with this, you know, Donald Trump movement. You know, the very same things, and, and, you know, I'll say it again, the very things that white working class and poor whites are railing against and are having difficulties with and are suffering from, you know, a lot of that can be traced back to Bill Clinton, you know, with, um, um, with the deregulation of the banking system, the deregulation of the, you know, the stock market, um, with NAFTA and a number of other things. And I just find it, you know, ironic that the same discontent from that is the fuel that's, you know, um, controlling Donald Trump's campaign or that's just keeping it, you know, out here, you know, keeping it moving keeping it perpetuated. And, you know, now he's running against Hillary, who's saying that Bill is going to be in charge of the economy because he knows that. Well, you all need to go back and do some reading. But what's happening with this Donald Trump and his White Lives Matter movement, it actually should be, you know, very concerning to you. And, I mean, I'm not saying Hillary is any better. You know, and I'm not saying she's any worse. All I'm saying is people of color are screwed, regardless. You know, one may use KY, the other one, not so much. And so <laughs> just look this up. You know, I don't even know what else to say about all of this and the blatant racism. But, I mean, I've always said in the past that I have more respect for someone that's an overt, outright racist than someone that's hiding it and, you know, trying to fool you. So, you know, that's something that I do respect to a certain degree. Now, I'm not saying that you need to invite me over to your next cross-burning. No, I'm a pass on that. But it's just interesting um, how all of this is coming back and how, you know, because we always talk about how people romanticize the past. And, you know, I, I know I've talked about black people romanticizing um, um, the civil rights movement and the black, you know, the, the um, black power movement. And um, that's very true. And, you know, the same thing you have happening with, you know, the white community. 
you know, waxing poetic about the white past and, you know, being nostalgic about, you know, the country and what it was like in the 1800s, I'm assuming before the emancipation of the slaves, you know, and some of them, you know, I mean, even with Paula Dean and the Phil Ferguson, you know, that guy, you know, the duck guy, when they were saying that blacks were happier during Jim Crow. Guys, these white people believe that shit. And you have some white people out here that are saying that black people, you know, were happier when they were slaves and that they were under better conditions when they were slaves. And it's just absolutely ridiculous. And so, again, who are we? What are we? Where do we fit? The hell is going on? You know, these are the questions that come to my mind. And I don't have any answers for you. I don't have an answer for me. I'm just sitting here and watching it, you know, absolutely dumbfounded. But, you know, like I said, going to that conference kind of snapped me out of a lot of this because I don't know what the hell you all are doing, but I'm putting together a damn plan of action, you know, just in case. Because um, I'm not going to get caught up in this bullshit. But, guys, just take a look at it. And, you know, you got people out here saying that a lot of this is coming, you know, because of the secularization of American life, which is not true. And um, because what's so interesting, you know, is that a lot of people don't realize, and go and fact check me, but a lot of the racism and discrimination that we face in this country, a lot of that has been couched by religion. You know, go back and take a look at what Martin Luther King said about Sunday being, you know, the most, you know, segregated day of the week, the most segregated hour. You know, and a lot of that, and then go and look up the role of, you know, um, Christianity and religion in racism. And the same thing with um, Islam, you know, and the slave trade. You know, it just wasn't Christians that had slaves. You know, Arabs had slaves too. You know, but people don't talk about that a lot. But, you know, you go back and look at, you know, the historical context of that and put it all into play. And I'm just sitting here looking around, and there's a whole bunch of us out here that are just like, what the fuck is going on? And when these white people find out that these manufacturing jobs are not coming back, that Donald Trump is not going to just be able to snap his fingers and a wall is built, and that Donald Trump is not going to just be able to go and negotiate with, you know, people that we owe money to that hold, you know, holds the notes on our debt, that he can't go in there and renegotiate things like it's a damn collection agency. That's not how that works. And most importantly, he can't send all the immigrants back. But it's not all immigrants that they want to send back. They just want to send back... (laughs) 
They just want to send back the Mexican ones and the black ones, you know, anyone of Negro heritage as that one particular, um, you know, white nationalist said. He said anyone with black blood, Negro blood, send them back. He'll know he's sending us, but we just got to leave here, right? And so it is, wow, you know, who are we? Where are we? What are we? Because this is just not happening here. You know, I I used to post a lot of articles about, you know, what was happening over in different countries, you know, in in Italy, when, you know, they were throwing bananas and just crazy shit, you know, in Italy and France and Germany, even in London. They're having the same issues. And, you know, I stopped, you know, posting and sharing a lot of that. So I just really stopped posting and sharing, period. Why? I was tired. And I'm still tired. And number two, wasn't sure if people, you know, appreciated it or got what I was putting out there. And so, but it, it does, it does wear and tear on, on, you know, individuals on people. And what's so interesting is, you know, I would have some white people as well as some other people who would say, well, why are you posting that? All you're doing is angering a group of people that are that are already marginalized and, and you know, mistreated. And, you know, what's so interesting is, is that those same, some of those same people thought that they were doing the right thing by saying that. But, you know, if you don't understand your history, you're bound to repeat it. But with some of these people that were saying that, it's to their benefit that, you know, we don't start, you know, picking at the consciousness of other people of color. Why? Because in some cases they want the status quo to remain. They just want their regular white person status back because all this oppression stuff is really hard. And what's so interesting is, you know, and I've stated this time and time again, you know, you have a lot of white people out here who feel as though they're being oppressed because certain freedoms and entitlements and privileges that they've become accustomed to, well, you know, you have some people that are saying no because now that you're one of these, no, you can't do that. There is something wrong, and, and, you know, these white people are not used to someone saying no, and you can't. So now they feel like they are being oppressed. And because, you know, we're, we're trying to level the playing field, now they're trying to claim reverse discrimination or claim that people of color are being racist because we want equality. Now, they don't quite say it that way, but that is what it is. And, you know, I sit back and I look at some of the black people who let them get away with this. And sometimes, you know what, I'm guilty of that too because talking to some of these people is like talking to a damn brick wall. And they want you to repeat it over and over. Why? So that you can't make any real progress. And what's so interesting is that you got some blacks that are out there doing it too. You know, and and it was so interesting is you got some blacks out here that are now saying, oh, yeah, social justice, black community, when you didn't give a shit about it then, and we know you don't give a shit about it now, you're just trying to make some money. 
or expand your platform. And the shit is funny to me. Because I know better. And so it's just, it's it's really interesting. Um, One of the conversations that came up, and again, who are we? What are we? You know, what are we doing here? What is our role? What is our place? Just in the world in general. But, you know, in this white world that we're living in, even though people of color comprise the majority of the population worldwide, it's still pretty much controlled by white people. And so what's so interesting is, and I'm going to go back. I knew, I knew where I left off. Um, what's so interesting is that, um, you know, we're trying to figure out who we are, where we are, and what we are. And some of these same conversations came up over in Paris, and, you know, we were talking about, you know, what are, what's next on the agenda? Because, again, you know, these people aren't going to take anything lying down. And it doesn't even matter if Trump wins or not. You know, you're going to have some people who feel as though it is their right their, you know, their manifest destiny, their God-given right to go out here and put basically blacks and women in their place. And that's basically what it boils down to with this White Lives Matter movement. It is about putting black people and women back in their place. Now, for those of you who are in these communities, you'll understand exactly what I'm saying. And within the black community, you have, you know, again, some of these men, and they want to put black women back in their place. And this is why you hear us talking about patriarchy a lot. And this is why you hear quite a few of them saying that they hate feminism. And, you know, it's just absolutely amazing. And you can, I, you can talk about it until you're blue in the face. But until we get out here and enforce change, and that's one of the problems. We don't have anyone out here advocating for us. Poor people don't have advocates, not really. Black people, we really don't have any advocates. And I've talked about how black political elite, you know, or the black ruling class, if you will, how they have betrayed poor blacks. And what's so interesting is some of that bullshit that Bill Cosby was saying, there are quite a few other blacks, you know, that feel that way that are saying the same thing. But nobody wants to talk about the conditions that these people are put in that makes them or forces them to make one of these, you know, dastardly choices. So... We got to start looking at it from a bigger picture, you know, so where do we go from here? You know, I have no damn idea at this point, none. And so, you know, I'm going to go back to my original point um, about Paris is, you know, you had a lot of, you know, academics, like intellectuals, everyday people, you know, um, at this, at this particular conference. And um, one of the conversations that came up was, you know, we talked about how 
his publisher perished in, in academia. So, you know, the joy of teaching, you know, pretty much, you know, kind of has been stifled and crushed out because it's, it's not about teaching these young people or old people or whomever sitting in these classrooms. It's about getting published and bringing money into the college or university. And even with some of the, you know, academics and intellectuals out here that write books, and, yeah, they got to do it because, I mean, they got to pay. You know, they have to, you know, raise their family, you know, all of that stuff. I get it. You know, but then you have some of them that are out here and, of course, pontificating on, you know, what's happening in our different communities and our roles and all of that. But some of them, you know, they they started talking about how with a lot of people it's just rhetoric, that they don't really want to go out there, that they really don't want to march. They, you know, they ain't going to jail, you know, for Pookie and them over there. And, you know, it's a lot of that. And, you know, it, it just kind of forced me to look at myself. And, you know, look at what I'm doing, you know, and I do some volunteer work here and there, um, you know, donate resources here and there, you know, whether it's financial, like right now I'm getting ready to um, donate my bedroom set and a shitload of clothes to um, a domestic violence shelter because I'm cleaning up my life and kicking a lot of stuff out, you know, and I don't kick people out of my life, but there are times when I just feel we need to walk away and not talk. And if I see you in a year or two or three from now, we can pick up, you know, not personal. So, again, I just want you to think about it. Who are you? What are you? You know, it takes me back to those signs that I saw, you know, men caring during the civil rights movement when they were saying, I am a man. And some of the women, I am a woman. I am a human being. You know, and it's a lot of us that are out here trying to figure out what our purpose is in this life, in these communities, You know, what are we going to contribute? What type of legacy are we going to leave behind? You have all of that. And I just want you to think about it. You know, and um, I'm just saying, you know, uh, when I was there, like I said, I was at that hotel, and it was just dripping in white privilege. And, you know, talking about that a little bit, because we, we talked about that as well. Like I said, that conversation was flowing, and it would be about three or four, you know, going on at the same time. So you hopping from group to group. And, you know, we were talking about trying to explain white privilege and white supremacy to white people. Some of them get it. Most of them don't. You know, now, when they do some fucked up ass shit, they know exactly what they're doing. But, you know, when we're talking about systemic and institutionalized racism, you know, sometimes that becomes a little harder to explain. 
and it's not hard to get. It's just that when you're sitting in a you're sitting in a catbird seat, and you got somebody that wants to sit up there with you, and you know that that seat can't hold all that weight, well, somebody got to go, right? And so, you know, one example that we kind of kicked around was, you know, let's say Bob. You know, Bob graduated from college, you know, with honors, you know, the white privilege afforded to his family, allowed them to pay for his schooling, and, you know, and, you know, when Bob gets out, if he doesn't go and work for his parents, you know, corporations, then, you know, one of his, you know, uncles or somebody or maybe even his wife's family can put him in a position there. And then Bob has friends that need jobs, so Bob will recommend them. And next thing you know, you have this big old network of, of white people you know, hiring each other because they know each other and, you know, they're taking each other on their word. And even if the person is unqualified or underqualified for the position, they'll train them and give them, you know, whatever the tools they need. And that is an example because you got white people hiring more, white people hiring more, white people hiring more, white people, and they feel as though they're not doing any harm to anyone else. They're just networking. But at the same time, you know, the job is advertised, and you had people of color apply that were as qualified, if not more qualified, because there are times when we're two, three times more qualified, but they've already promised the job to, you know, Bob's nephew over there. And so, you know, that is just one example, and I simplified it because it's not quite that simple. But, um, guys, I don't know. I don't know where we are. I don't know what we're doing. I don't know what role we play in this country anymore. And, you know, a lot of black people in other countries feel the same way. And it is not necessarily a feeling of despair, but it's more confusion. Um, it's just, yeah, you know, everything we're dealing with right now is about white males wanting their regular white guy status again, which means being in charge of everything and everyone. And as, as I've stated before, it's across the board. And some of these communities, watching what's going to happen from now to the end of the year is going to be amusing. And since I'm going to be taking these damn intensive writing classes, you know, I guess I'll start writing. Ugh. But for those of you that know me, you know I don't like to write. You know, I'm a good writer, but I just don't like to do it. And then also with the Things with my hands sometimes is hard, but, you know, I have a virtual keyboard and mouse now, so it looks like a hologram. It's really cool, so I'm training that now, so that should help me out a lot as well. Yeah, me and my toys, but guys, um, you know, just know that you're loved. Just know that, you know, what you're out here doing is not in vain. You know, I want to encourage these young people out here, whether it's the Black Lives Matter protesters, the BYP protesters, 
you know, Asada's daughters, you know, and all of them here in Chicago and, you know, all across the country as well as across the pond. You know, stay encouraged. Definitely stay encouraged. Um, But we do need to sit down and talk about where we're going. What exactly are we trying to achieve? And one point that I want to make sure that's understood, especially, you know, when you have these particular movements and with some of these, you know, black men that are trying to come in and take over, you know, it's it's not about black men. The world does not revolve around black men. And if black women, children, black LGBTQ, black disabled, you know, so on and so forth, if none of them are free, none of you are free. And that is one of the things, and I was, I was in, on this, in this particular panel, and it was talking about Black Lives Matter in relation to James Baldwin, right, and how the, a lot of what's happening with this movement and a lot of the rhetoric that you're hearing from people in this movement it rings James Baldwin, and if you all read him, you'll understand, because that right there, you know, if, if Dolores with 12 kids ain't free, none of us are free. You understand? And just go back. Go back and read, but it turned into a real heated conversation, and we were going in and, you know, got to the civil rights, you know, black power movement, and then I heard this voice chirp. And it was this gentleman, and he was talking about the civil rights movement, the black power movement was a secular movement. I was like, hot damn. And the guys that were moderating um, that talk, they gave their presentation, the guy, the, the, the moderator, he looked at me and pointed and started laughing because we started that conversation before, you know, the panel even started because I was in the classroom before any of the panelists made it there because I went and I had my food and everybody else wanted to go looking around and all the boutiques and I wasn't feeling that because like I said I wasn't feeling good and so I went back and so you know introducing myself and talking to them and talking about Asa Philip Randolph, Bayard Rustin and the crew and all of that and now mind you these guys are ministers but not the one who said that it was a secular movement and the moderator pointed at me because I lit up and he knew I was about to let them have it. And so, you know, I was like, yeah, it was a peep. It was, it was a secular movement slash people's movement because one of the gentlemen, you know, he, he said that well, by claiming it was secular, it was ahistoric. And so, you know, we kind of went around a little bit and I said, okay, secular slash people's movement, which is what you all have been hearing me say since last year, you know, when um, I learned something from another panel at the Black Lives Matter conference, because I took them through too. And so, you know, by the time I got done, you know, talking about, you know, the, the secular people's movement in that particular regard, the moderator, he just stood up. He was like, I knew you were going to take us to church, but I had to take it. I, you know, I took it all the way back to black radical humanist tradition and took it back to Hubert Henry Harrison and W.E.B. Du Bois and all of those people, you know, and I had to make sure that I named the women, you know, Zora Neale Hurston, Nella Larson, Lucy Parsons, and just a shitload more. 
guys, learn your history because it was a good time, you know. And so the gentleman that was talking, you know, about it being a secular movement, we exchanged business cards. We're going to do a webcast on that shit because y'all got to hear it. It was good. It was good. You know, that right there by far was, you know, the best panel to me because, you know, man, it was just, you felt like home. You felt like you were sitting around the kitchen table talking to your Aunt Evelyn and your cousins. And, you know, y'all sitting there, got the Marvin Gaye going on in the background. You got a card table up. They over there playing bid whiz or what have you. And, you know, the barbecue was going. just felt like family. It felt like family. That is what I felt when I was at the Black Lives Matter conference. That is what I felt there. And, and, you know, and it's just so interesting because, you know, I talked a little bit about um, how there are times when we need our own safe spaces because if you have, you know, a situation where people feel that they can't be open and honest and talk, they, you know, they tend to pull back. And so, you know, that happens quite a bit. And so what's interesting is, for me personally, you know, that is one of the things that has, you know, created issues for me in the past is that, you know, I don't talk about a lot of the issues or problems that I'm dealing with and going on. And then you'll have some people, you know, who are abusive. And they know you're not really going to talk about it or put it out there. So the only story people are going to hear is their story, right? And then when you fight back, it becomes a problem. Why? Because that's not the person, you know, that they're used to dealing. That's not the reaction that they're used to having or receiving from me. But, um, eh, all of that stuff stops. So tread carefully. But, um, yeah, guys, go back. Take a look. Figure it out. You know, start challenging those around you. Challenge everything. Question everything. You have a right to that. And if there are some people around you and you're trying to tell them the facts and they're telling you, you that they don't care, they know this and this is all they need to know, that's bullshit, you know. And like I said, for some of these communities and these, you know, so-called movements, you're a cult and you're emulating the very same thing that you claim that you are against. The only difference between that movement and yours is that you're trying to be in charge and in control in this particular movement. But it's the same bullshit. And when you when you bring it to their attention, then they get angry and and mad at you because you can no longer claim plausible deniability. You can no longer, you know, sit there and defend it because it's the truth. And what's so funny is you have some people out there, they only believe it. When a white person says it, you know, but it's true, you know, people got receipts, 
and it's going to be real interesting. Anyway, guys, you all take it easy. Have a great Sunday evening. Take care. Bye-bye.